Monk Realty Show is the podcast at the intersection of real estate, technology, and future. This podcast is produced by Monk Tech Labs, which owns and operates SaaS products like the House Monk, which is used to manage residential portfolios, and the Office Monk, which is used to manage commercial portfolios. All right, folks, uh, welcome back to another episode of the Monk Realty Show. Today, we have with us Eugene Lim from the Assembly Place. Hi, Eugene. Welcome to the show. Hi. Uh, thank you so much, uh, AJ, for having me today. Fantastic. Um, for the sake of those of uh, for those people in the audience who don't yet know you, why don't you give a quick introduction about yourself and then the Assembly Place? Hi, everyone. Uh, I'm the founder and chief executive officer of the Assembly Place. So we are a co-living company based in Singapore. Currently, we have close to 1,200 live rooms with another 300 rooms up in the pipeline. The Assembly Place was founded uh, in June 2019. So it has been a great, uh, awesome three and a half years since we started the company. Thank you. Fantastic. And what led you into co-living? Okay, so I, I was in real estate for the past close to 20 years of my career. So real estate has always been uh, a big part of me since I graduated from, uh, in fact, even before university, after high school, I was already involved in uh, brokering of uh, real estate. So I, how I came across, uh, why I decided to do venture into co-living back in 2019, uh, I was as, it was really more of a social experiment more than anything. Back in 2019, the rental rates in Singapore, the rental yield was not great. So you have a lot of high net worth individual that buy real estate in Singapore, but they couldn't achieve the kind of yield that they want to achieve. However, on another spectrum, uh, Singapore being a very open market, uh, we have a, we have a lot of uh, foreigners expat that actually come to Singapore to work. But however, even though Singapore being a first world city, there's not so much of uh, affordable uh, accommodation or safe accommodation. So we have a gap whereby we have tenants of friends from India, friends from Malaysia working in Singapore that want affordable, good quality accommodation. But yet uh, the landlord wanted very high rental yield, but they couldn't achieve the rental yield. So what happened was that I decided to rent a house uh, in Orchard Road from my ex-client. He, he is an Indonesian, uh, so he's in Singapore for many years. So what happened was that one day we were having lunch. He began to tell me things like, Hey, Eugene, uh, Singapore real estate. Uh, you cannot invest in Singapore real estate because the rental yield is so low. He said he bought the Inter Terrace for close to $5 million. He was only asking for $6,000, but there was no taker. So we we're having lunch uh, uh, on that fateful afternoon. Uh, what happened was that the next day, I was on the way to work, uh, taking the lift uh, up to the 30th floor. Then I was in the same lift with uh, my colleagues who were, they were from the finance department. So most of our, our my ex-company finance department, they were actually Malaysian. So they were complaining about uh, their landlord uh, switching off their air conditioning on the weekend, batch in, in their room at 7 a.m. So I was very curious. I was asking them, hey, uh, how much do you rent for uh, your room? They say they are paying around $800 per room. Then immediately I asked, uh, is that attached bath uh, that, that comes with it? They say, no, uh, it's just a common room in a public housing estate. Uh, then that was when I was very shocked. Then immediately I thought of my lunch with my ex-client. I immediately called, I immediately called him and said, hey, Pat, uh, uh, why not you rent the house to me? Because I want to run a social experiment. 
So he looked at me, he said, okay, it's okay. Uh, what do you want to do that for? I said, I just want to run a social experiment to create affordable housing, yet to try to achieve you uh, from the point of a landlord. So he decided to rent the, uh, the house to me at uh, $5,000. So I spent uh, three weeks to turn, turn around the asset, to turn around the place, that's six rooms. Two weeks later, all the six rooms were, were filled up and we achieved a total rental of around 10800 That was at the point in time I realized that, hey, actually, if the landlord were to use the same concept as mine, then they could have achieved a better yield and the tenant is also willing to pay additional $1,200 to have a good and safe uh, community. So one thing to another, so three years later, here we are. Uh, we have around a thousand two hundred rooms now. Oh, that's a that's a fantastic origin story, and it's a really good example of like an entrepreneur who knows the industry really well and stumbling across you know the right opportunity right within the industry. And I think 2018-19 was such a pivotal moment for the following industry in itself because all across the world, a lot of really good companies have been set up you know during that time, and it's great to know that your story begins there as well. Um, talking about the core point that you mentioned, which is around yield, right? And so much of real estate just revolves around how much yield you can get out of an asset. And a lot of times, like I speak to people from outside the industry who feel that, you know, like higher yields uh, or like higher rents are not really a good thing, right? Like for the industry, like because like it makes it unaffordable for customers, etc. But um, I try to make the case that, hey, you know what, like if the yields are more attractive, more capital comes into the market. And that kind of like has its own stabilization effect, right? Like more capital, more housing, as long as the government is conducive to it. And that kind of like, you know, has a very long-term positive effect on the industry. Um, but just touching upon the topic of yield, we see various different yield rates in different parts of the world. Uh, in Singapore right now, for let's say a strata unit, and if the landlord just wants to rent out a three-bedroom apartment, um, what's the expected yield like? And how much do you think the yield could be if they opt for a co-living model? Okay, so typically, if a typical landlord just rent out a unit on his own, he or she could, you know, potentially achieve around 2.5% U. If they can achieve 3% U, that is considered good. Um, but if you convert it to a co-living play, probably you can hit additional 1, additional one to 1.5%. Um, reason why I say that is because in the assembly place, out of, the, well, out of 1,200 rooms that we have, 50% are run via management contract. So when we run via management contract, we run on behalf of this landlord, we are able to achieve uh, as high as around 5% yield for some of them. But however, even though the rental yield in today's market is high, we all see the news that Singapore rental has went up significantly. But however, the net return back to the owner is not great either because of the high interest rate. Before COVID or during COVID, the interest rate in Singapore is hovering average around 1.5 to 1.8%. But today's the interest rate can go as high as 5%. So even though if the landlord has increased rental by 50 to 80%, a huge chunk of this actually goes back to the high interest environment. So these are things that uh, a lot of tenants, uh, they may not understand. Uh, it comes to a situation whereby the landlord has got no choice but to increase rental. If not, uh, they can't even pay off the high interest mortgage in today's environment. That, that, that's an interesting point because uh, I think all across the world, uh, in India, the interest rates going into the pandemic were around 6.5% uh, on average. And now it's at about 9.5%. Uh, 
uh, it's increased like significantly, right? And we're seeing, I mean, of course, like similar trends all across the world. And as a consequence, rents have shot up, right? Like 30%, 40%, 50%, like in most parts of uh, India, but we're seeing this in Dubai as well. I'm hearing from friends that it's kind of happening in the US as well. So the rents have kind of like spiked, but of course there's a very clear underlying reason that the borrowing rate for landlords and investors has simply gone up as well. Uh, is that the primary driver for the high rents in Singapore right now or are there other factors that are driving this as well? Okay, basically there are two, two key factors, of course uh, one of which is the obvious which is the high interest rate. Secondly, the landlord also make use of this tight supply environment to increase the rental rate. Because the past three years in COVID, a lot of construction got delayed. Projects that were supposed to be completed two years ago came to a halt. So there's a tight uh, in terms of supply. So, and when the borders open, you got an influx of students as well as foreigners who came back to Singapore to work. And when that happens, there's really a, uh, a supply crunch in today's environment and coupled with the high interest rate as well. So all this amount and add up to the high rental environment today that we are seeing. But we, we foresee that our Singapore rental market is almost at its peak right now. Uh, I don't think you will go back all the way to the pre-COVID level. I don't think it will go back to that level. But I don't think also it will go as high as a jump compared to last year. Because over the next six months, a lot of the private residential projects are, are, are going to be completed. So once all these residential projects are completed, then you have more supply, you have more choices uh, for the tenants as well. Interesting. And um, one of the factors that I notice a lot about the Singapore rental market is that it's primarily stratified units, right? Um, uh, condos which are like handed over to MCST for management and then like a lot of the units come up for rental. Um, are we seeing now that there are more consolidated rental housing stocks? I mean, are we seeing condos uh, or even let's say like smaller apartments which have maybe like 50 rooms or 100 rooms, which would have normally just been a hotel. Um, but are these kinds of like housing stock getting created for the purpose of long-term rental alone? Uh, I guess for those projects that just completed, because in Singapore itself, our URA, our planner, over the past few years has also tried to regulate the kind of sizes that, uh, that a real estate developer can build. So gone are the days whereby a property developer can build one singular block or a one bedroom or a studio apartment. So they need to have a good mix. I think uh, our planner did that well and did that strategically to create, to ensure that we do not cause uh, social disharmony to the, to the streetscape uh, in certain parts of Singapore. So imagine you have one full block that is all studio apartment, then that estate will end up having different kind of tenant coming in and out of the housing estate. So I think what we want is to really build a very robust community within the neighborhood. You have a mixture of families, you have a mixture of uh, young families, multi-generation family, as well as probably tenant. So uh, back to the question whereby do we really see a singular building block whereby it's all fully purpose renter? I don't think so. Uh, I, I, I don't really see that because for the typical three and four bedroom, <coughs> a lot of Singaporean buyer who buy is really buying for their own stay. And because of our Singapore real estate taxation structure with the additional buyer stamp duty, I think gone are the days whereby one Singaporean or a family will want to buy three to four property because the taxes are simply too high. In the past, Singaporean will buy 
a second property, third property for the purpose of rental. But these days, they have to think very hard because the taxes are simply too high. And all these taxes, you can't take a bank loan out of it. All these are 100% equity that you have to pay to the tax department. So we foresee that uh, the, the new supply, they may elevate in terms of the demand crunch for the rental market, um, but the prices will not really go down because the supply for the rental is not going to shoot over the roof. There will not be an oversupply in terms of uh, for the purpose of rental because a lot of Singaporeans who buy are really for the purpose of upgrading and are for the purpose of for owner-occupier, not so much of rental. Let's talk a little, a little bit about hotels, right? Uh, something that we noticed during the pandemic was that a lot of the hotels were not being utilized as much right? because like travel was not happening as frequently as it was happening before like so many travel restrictions and a lot of co-living operators started taking over hotels and operating them as co-living spaces uh, is that a, i know that that trend was happening in singapore as well is that happening have you done that yourself what has been your experience so far okay so for singapore itself during the pandemic uh because of the because tourism has perpetually fall down to zero, so but what happened was that uh, our Singapore government did a lot a lot to help our tourism industry. So a lot of the hotel were converted to actually our quarantine hotel and stay home notice hotel, and that's when the government actually paid the hotel owner, you know, for the uh, for for utilization of their space, and that kind of tied through a lot of the hotel owners uh, during the pandemic. So back to the question of uh, some co-living operator have actually start to pivot, uh, getting turning over uh, hotel spaces to run as co-living. Yes, and we see a trend. Even for the assembly place, currently we are running two co-living hotel right now. So, however, uh, what, what is the reason why we, we we decided to go into the hotel space as well? So the reason is also because our Singapore regulation, like for our co our typical co-living residential space and uh, uh, the guidelines stated very clearly that the minimum stay for any tenant for our co-living space under residential is a minimum of three months as we begin to scale the business uh, we realized that there's a lot of our members start calling us and say that hey uh, our friends are visiting us when the borders open but they are not here they are not going to be here for uh, three months they are here only going to be one month do you have any co-living solution for them but answer is i do not have because the minimum stay is three months and for the assembly place we are very sure that we do not want to run afoul with the law we will stick uh, we will stick with the rule of the game uh, that's when we decided to uh, took on our first hotel uh, in Mayo Street uh, that's only a 23 room hotel so why 23 room because it's something that we are first time doing it we do not want to expose ourselves by running a three four hundred room hotel so a 23 room hotel, we, we, what, 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 what we did was that we turned it around, we create, uh, we create communal spaces um, in the hotel itself, meaning to say that one or two of the room we convert it to be a communal lounge area so that members can actually have a co-working space as well as a, a co-sharing space within the, within the hotel. So when, that, when we turn over, turn over that space, we, we are flexible, we can rent one day, we can rent one week, we can rent two weeks. So uh, that's the reason why we go into this space. And we did that, we did the first hotel uh, late last year and it proved to be successful. So what happened was that we opened our second co-living hotel um, earlier this year. 
and we also took on the third one, which is a service apartment, uh, which we just oh, okay. opened uh, last month, which is the former YMCA Metropolitan along Stephen Road. So now for the assembly base, oh, we got the we got different accommodation class. We got co living residential, we got co living hotel, we got co living uh, service apartment. We also got co living apartment. Yes, service apartment as well. Oh, a, uh, which one is the hostel in this? Okay, the hostel is in Perak Road. So, uh, but we that, that we started. We, it's a hundred eighty-six bed hostel. So it was completed last year October, and we have achieved hundred percent lease all the way, and wow. it's fully occupied until this year November. Oh wow! That, yeah, this is it, for a hostel, is it? Yeah, hostel meaning to say that each room you have a four to six beds. So is it like a travelers hostel or is it like a workers hostel? Uh, it's a travel hostel. Oh wow! Okay, that's fantastic. Yeah, so... so that space, that that space is yeah one the best co living, uh, uh best co living space under Asia Property Award last year. So we spent a oh, lot of money to do up the architecture. The internal communal space is beautiful. We spend around one point five million to spruce up the space. So it's the it's the wow. I would say that it's the most premium co living hostel in Singapore because all the hostel in Singapore there's no attached bathroom. It's all communal bath. But this space, mm. every room comes with an attached bath. Oh, that's fantastic! I I really love the concept of um kind of like co living slash like the hostel experience overall because okay. especially when you're traveling, that's kind of when you're really looking for. Like-minded people to do stuff with, especially when you're when you're a solo traveler, and I've done that uh, many times. Like especially when you're in places like Europe, and they already have a really good hostel infrastructure, and you just meet like so many nice people, right? And there's like so many reasons to kind of like bond with uh, the people that you're kind of sharing the space with. Um, so re- really nice to find that you know, like you're playing all across the spectrum, anywhere from one day of accommodation all the way over to a year or two of lease. Um, do you face any operational challenges when you are having a business which does hospitality, mid-term, as well as like long-term accommodation? Okay, so for we are also learning uh, every day as we scale the business. Um, the the co-living business is actually part operational business. So currently we have close to twenty operational staff full time, consists of our full time housekeeper as well as our as well as our handyman, our technician. No, uh, handyman that can fix the light bar, clear the choke. They are electrical train, a uh, plumbing train. So we got around close to twenty of them, uh, uh, managing around a thousand two hundred two hundred rooms. So, so what we have learned is that over the years, when we manage the co living business, when it when it is a hotel or a service apartment, we will tend to outsource it. We outsource the operation and the cleaning services. So, but it is. Uh, our co-living business, whereby we, only, we we do once or twice a week cleaning, then we will use our own staff. But hotel and service department is different because uh, daily cleaning is, is is essential. Yeah, yeah. And um, w- wouldn't your business also change from a marketing perspective on like where you market your properties and how you get the tenants, or is, are these channels the same for both short term as well as long term? Okay, so what happened is that for hotel, what we do for a hotel is that. Example: Our first hotel is twenty-three room. We will always try to rent out ten of them via our own platform. The ten of the, the ten room will be more for longer stay, one month and above. But for those one daily stay, we still have to depend on the OTA like your Booking.com, Agoda. We still go through that platform. 
So we are happy with that model because if we rent 10, 10 rooms out of 23 rooms for long-term stay, that will lower my operational cost because I do not need to do daily housekeeping and I do not need to pay the OTA fee as well. So it's all through my network. So uh, everything is cheaper and more efficient. However, once I 10 rooms, I rent out based on long-term, I'm around 45% lease out. So the rest of the 55%, actually I can call the prices, I can call the prices I want via the via the OTA platform. So nice. we kind of nice. order. Um, would you recommend this kind of like a hybrid rental strategy for other co-living operators as well? Okay, it, it really depends. Like we, we also did our own numbers. If you look, if you run a hotel uh, full-fledged, if you run a hotel full-fledged on a daily rate, your rental is actually always higher. Your revenue will always be higher than, than for the long term. But for us, because we, we know ourselves, we are not the core, we are not the merit. So we are a co-living operator. So we always tell ourselves that we take our time to build our brand. Uh, most importantly, that we do not uh, get ourselves underwater. <laughs> so we are always happy to say we are always happy to say that all the hotels that we are running now we are profitable. So I mean, for the SME base, we have always been profitable since day one, and we are cash flow positive. So that's something that we we always hold high regards to that we do not uh, we are prudent, <laughs> you know, uh, in in the way we run the business because at the end of the day, every business that we do, we we need to be profitable. <laughs> <laughs> so oh, that's, uh, ourselves, yeah. There were a couple of years in between um, when if an entrepreneur started saying things like profitability and cash flow, everyone would look at that entrepreneur and be like, are you crazy? Like, why are you saying yes. words like this? But then now I think we're back to a world where um, sustainability in businesses are starting to get encouraged once again. Uh, so that's like really nice to know that uh, the company is profitable and that's such a good sign of strength. Right, like especially to come out and say like that you're profitable on a cash flow basis, so you're in control of your own destiny. Um, but for those operators um, on in in the co-living industry who want to possibly finance the business through external capital, do you what would you suggest to them? Like, are there any capital pools available? I know that the VC industry is not very hot on co-living uh, and you know the operator in uh, businesses in general. What would you suggest to new entrepreneurs entering the industry? I will always suggest for the entrepreneur in this industry that uh, the co-living business is a real estate business. It's a property management business. Uh, we are not a 100% tech business. So I think this is something that the entrepreneur and the founder need to realize that uh, we, can be a, we can position ourselves as a quasi-tech company, but we are not a tech company. So at the end of the day, um, it's the real estate that matters. We must run a tight ship and nurse it back to health because the co-living business in today's environment with the high rental market, uh, there is profit to be made. So, but we all know that um, the margin can be very tight. So I think it's very important to, to realize that uh, the VC market, you know, the capital market is not great, you know, compared to pre-COVID days. So it's very important to nurse the traditional business back to health to make it profitable. So who knows, probably when there's a lot of hot money coming in two, three years down the road, you you you, you can you can share the pain whatever story that you want. But at the end of the day, till that day come, I think sustainability is still key. Yeah. So for us, a, a lot of people are shocked that um, including my operational team of 20 of them, the, the whole company in the assembly, we, we only got 
30 full-time staff running 1,200 rooms, including myself. Oh. We only got 30 of us, including our 20 full-time housekeeper as well as our as our as our wow. uh, technician. There's only 30 of us. So, wow. so, so we run a very tight ship when I was when I was managing, when the assembly place, we have 600 rooms. So there's only eight of us running the business. <laughs> <laughs> so, so when COVID hit, uh, it, doesn't, it, it didn't really affect us. I think it's also because during the first two years of the growth of the assembly place, we our rooms are all via management contract. So we were asset like. So we do not take position. And it helps because myself and my team, we are in real estate for for a big part of our career. So personally, I was from uh, Knight, Knight Frank, heading the residential department. So we know what are the leases that you can touch, what are the leases that you can't touch. <laughs> so the worst thing for our business is that once you enter into a bad lease of five years, it's a bad lease. It is a bad marriage. And that bad marriage will cost you, you know, it will cost your bottom line significantly. Right. <laughs> right. No, that's very interesting. Uh, it's... Uh... It's it's very commendable that you have been man you you've been able to man uh, convince so many landlords to get in um, on a management contract um, because most landlords especially when a company is starting new um, they prefer to have like a fixed lease right with the operator and you can like kind of like resell it for a higher price. Did you face that challenge as well when you started or were landlords more open to management contracts right from the beginning? Okay, uh, I was very blessed. I was also very lucky when I first started the business. It helps because I was in, I was in the industry for 20 years. So I know a lot of uh, real estate developers. I know a lot of family office who own a lot of real estate. So I think in our industry, reputation is very, very important. Because Singapore is such a small country. We are, we are like a city. So rep, uh, the industry is so small. The market is so small. Everyone knows each other. So it helps when, when I first started out, there was a lot of all these family office kind of individual that actually believe in me. So when I approach them, I say that I, I, I'm just a startup. I don't have money to even pay your security deposit. But if you trust me, I manage your space well. So, and and when I took on the first management contract on a row of shop houses, I, you know, the team did very well for them. And once the word spread, they will talk to their friends. Because the circle is so small. And so one thing lead to another, I managed to, the first 300 rooms were all management contract. Hmm. Yeah, oh, so wow. that, 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 that helps us a lot. So I was very, very lucky. And when we did the fundraising in back in 2021, uh, that was our first round of fundraising. And since then, um, there was no need for us to raise because most of the cash still sits in the bank because we are still cash flow positive. So the people who invest uh-huh. in are all the real estate veterans uh, in the Singapore real estate scene. So it helps when nice. when they are invested, they also introduce a lot of uh, clients to me. That's very nice. So it's it's it's. Uh, I think like that has been your um, proxy of sorts uh, to build the business without raising capital, uh, in the sense that you've just been leveraging your uh, connections from before, right? Like to kind of help you acquire at least the supply on one side, and especially in a market like Singapore where supply is so constrained. Um, once you have the supply, it's relatively easy, uh, you know, to get the demand. Uh, I think a lot of operators who don't come from the industry and who don't have some of these relationships, um, they ha- try to raise money in the hope that that money can actually attract the supply. 
to potentially come to them um, and they would either do that by offering let's say like fixed lease agreements and they need financing to kind of um, they need like funding to kind of like finance that uh, fixed lease commitment or um, you know just the using that money to use on marketing and brand building you know hope that that would once again get the trust of landlords right to come and you know hand over their property to them so it's it, it's really interesting that like you kind of managed to leverage your connections from before to kind of uh, move into your business um, we're kind of running out of time but i do want to like touch on one final topic before we wind up um this is broadly around sustainability uh, right and this is something that we've been thinking about quite a bit we've been speaking to a lot of our customers about um what we notice is that the commercial real estate industry the office uh, real estate and let's say the retail real estate industry they are broadly in a place where they're thinking about sustainability very deeply uh, and this is kind of happening at the corporate tenant level where really large companies are refusing to lease out commercial real estate unless the owner of that real estate has shown a commitment towards esg right uh, and they've shown a commitment towards you know carbon neutrality and you know moving towards uh, carbon offset and things like that are you seeing any such movement in a similar direction in co-living or in residential rentals or is or is it too early for retail consumers to kind of like think about that right now okay i think it's too early for retail investor to think about that i think the esg portion uh, in singapore happens more of the commercial space not so much of the uh, accommodation space so i think more of sustainability will be more of uh, probably the retail function will be more of the eco friendly not a sustainable product that we use that we put inside the software of our space so because the younger generation today they are more sensitive to saving the environment going green you know ensuring that you know we we don't waste we don't have uh, uh any wastage you no know, uh zero use of uh, plastic you know everything is all uh, being recycled so i think from the retail sector is more towards that but uh it's too early you know to look at the esg uh, the esg power things for for the retail especially in the on the accommodation play but what we can do as organization that what what we have started to do is we have recently pilot uh one of our hotel at vira sami um that one is a, is is the first uh co-living uh sustainable uh, hotel that means all the so what we do is that the shampoo as as well as the body wash we use are all plant based it's oh, actually okay. plant based yes so we partner with clover soft so even our laundry area they have to use our uh detergent pots it's all plant based and the toilet paper and the tissue paper we use are all from bamboo instead of trees oh nice that's very nice yeah so we just launched that one we just launched this collaboration to it costs us a bit more it costs us more to use this product but we feel that as an organization that is the first step that we should do so we just launched that actually this partnership 3 weeks ago oh that's fantastic that's a that's a really good example of how operators can also influence uh, or like can a kind of like move towards sustainability uh, love that you're doing that like i have loved everything that i've heard today i of course i'm well aware of what uh, the team is up to at the assembly place uh, wish you all all the best i hope to like maybe like reconnect and have you back on the podcast maybe a couple of years from now you know just to see how things have progressed uh, but thank you so much for your time today and good luck with the business thank you ej thank you so much for having me i look forward to host you when you're in singapore oh definitely definitely thank you so much thank you
If you like the show, please don't forget to give us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify.